Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Opie and Anthony of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. One Piece-themed Funeral Doom Triptych. One Piece-themed Funeral Doom Triptych. What do you mean by One Piece? Uh, One Piece is a uh, an incredibly long-running and incredibly boring anime. Ah. Uh, Alright, well, uh... I'm the black metal guy, a.k.a. Trey Azagtote, uh, talking his way out of a DUI by sort of levitating up over the police car, over the telephone poles, and sort of floating away as the bullets pass through him. If I was drunk, could I do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the One Piece thing would have landed way better if you were more of a weeb, man. It's, uh, yeah, and, and you say you're not a weeb, um, but um, no, that's like that's like bad anime. That yeah, but you know what it is. Yeah, because I live on the internet. That's fair. Um, to live on the internet <laughs> is already to be a weeb. Um, so, um, uh, oh you know, god! Yeah. But um, uh, did you know that that you you remember the thing about Triassic Toad's DUI, right? Probably a lot of our listeners do. I actually don't. I saw. I, I think uh, he told. About, but. Who knows? Maybe this is rumor, but like, if it's, I don't care. It's great, so it's in the lore now. Um, apparently, he told the cop he was a professional drinker. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and they said, "Well, oh, very good, sir. We don't want to interrupt you at work." <laughs> well, if you've been in Morbid Angel that many years, yeah, you can be a professional drinker, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you've been doing it for 35 years, that's fair. <laughs> um, all right, we've got a show today. Um, and holy shit, it finally happened. We've got a show that's mostly death metal. Have we ever pulled it off before? Yeah, a few times. Really? Okay, I yeah. haven't even thought about it. This one seems much more death metal than usual. I don't know why. Well, this is all... I think maybe in the past it's often involved some of that, you know, orth ortho cave please save us from that name someone come up with a better name for it <laughs> um uh um it's involved some of that or- orthodox cavern you know textured cavernous orthodox bm stuff that's pretty death metal you know or uh mm-hmm. you know something like that but on this there really is um uh in some way, like, I mean, we can find black metal influence strongly on the last thing, but uh, there's basically no black metal here. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it actually, it's actually happened. Um, mm-hmm. But before we go to the rundown, usual housekeeping, social media, follow us. Uh, Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, that's me. And the black metal guy is uh, on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, additionally, uh, you can follow us and uh, support us over on Patreon and Subscribestar. Three bucks and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, the newest one of which is going to be coming up probably within a day or two of you we've guys already listening re- to this episode. We've already recorded it. It's sick. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a very weird one, but it's a very good one. And uh, $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we discuss what the best Fallout game is and what bands sound like Seigneur Voland and Rule and which ones sound like Seigneur Voland and Suck. An important That's about half the discussions we have yeah, 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 on the yeah, server. Yeah, yeah. But, 
Okay, so, like I said, this is overwhelmingly a death metal episode, and uh, today we're opening with the debut record by a one-man project from Georgia called Alchemy of Flesh. Uh, record is called Ageless Abominations. This is out now on Redefining Darkness. Um, and this is a very open and uh, very straightforward uh, morbid angel worship project uh, spiced up with you know some some other parts of tampa death metal but definitely a an old school style death metal record uh of a fashion we don't often hear and uh well the result is well this guy really knows his morbid angel and he really knows his way out around a guitar and uh definitely a fun one to talk about yeah yeah so um Next up, we've got some uh, death metal from Connected from Finland. This is The Degeneration, and it is, as far as I can tell, a independent online release up to this point. Uh, it is, uh, I think the quick way of describing this would be an attempt to distill a certain essence of early 90s extreme metal minus black metal. Um, sort of thrashing, thrashing death metal. It's also very catchy in a way that's uncommon now. Yeah, it's a, it's another very fun record. Mm -hmm. um, after that, well, you know, you know, I had to do it to him. Uh, we have the latest record by Cerebral Effusion with ominous flesh discipline out on, unsurprisingly, New Standard Elite. Uh, for those who don't know, Cerebral Effusion, long-running Spanish brutal death band with their first record in seven years. And uh, I, will, I will have to make a legitimate pitch for why this is as good as I think it is and why you should listen to it, even though, to the untrained ear, it is literally just for half an hour. I, I would class myself at this point as relatively trained, and boy, is it that. <laughs> um, all right. And finally, uh, we've got Vertgern's A Legacy of Spite out on tape on Nebula Eterna Productions, although the, the band camp is also through Nebula. Uh, and this is some... Uh, I guess I'm just gonna say, like, you know, what's what's the Flaming Lips thing? Finally, the Black Metalers are listening to Stenchcore, um, <laughs> or something like that, or or vice, you know, vice versa. Um, but um, it's a uh, heavy chug music with blast beats, so and it's kind of medieval, so obviously we like it. <laughs> All right, first up, Alchemy of Flesh with Ageless Abominations on uh, Redefining Darkness. Um, so, as I said up front, uh, this is a one-man project from Georgia. Uh, looks like this guy has been in a few other extreme metal projects that I'm not familiar with. Uh, looks like he uh, did a black metal record a couple years back with a project called Lothric. Might have to check that out. It was released on Purity Through Fire, so that's, that's kind of an endorsement. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so, uh, this is an unapologetic... Uh, morbid angel worship project uh it is it is stated on the band camp so i'm not casting aspersions and as someone who has probably spent like a, a human year of time listening to morbid angel i am totally okay with more of this sort of thing uh but what makes this interesting is uh you know there's there's a few bands out there that are kind of going back to the well of tampa death metal um 
like I think it was early this year, or perhaps it was late last year, that we covered the compilation of the Conjureth demos, which is in a large part uh, like Altars of Madness and Blessed Are the Sick era of Morbid Angel. Mm-hmm. And most bands that are heavily influenced by Morbid Angel tend to stick with like the first three records or so, like a bomb. Uh, uh, yeah, Alters of Madness through Covenant. I, I think but, back in the day, even even Covenant, I think like the cool Morbid Angel posture back in the day, at least for people who weren't death metal people, was like the first two albums are good. Yeah, yeah. It, like mm-hmm. Covenant is a little bit more um, just aggressive and brooding, and straightforward. It's more just of a me- it's yeah. It's more of a me- it's more straightforwardly death metal also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so what makes this record really interesting within that pantheon of Morbid Angel worship is that this is concentrated really heavily on drawing influence from Gateways to Annihilation, uh, which is a record we've we've touched on on the show. It's a great album, and at this point, at this point in the greater death metal scene, I think people have basically accepted Formula's Fatal to the Flesh and Gateways as sort of classics, if not on par with the first three, but close. Um, no, that's something that's happened recently. I mean, weren't you talking to Numa Hagian about that? Yeah, yeah, because we had uh, picked up on a lot of Gateway's influence there, and he admitted mm-hmm. it himself that that was uh, pretty formative to the idea of Voidgazer, mm-hmm. his record. Um, this is very deep into Gateway's to Annihilation, with touches of Formulas Fatal to the Flesh, as well as little hints of other Tampa death metal Um Monstrosity is mentioned on the page, and I can hear some of that. Hate Eternal, well, Eric Rutan's on guitar there, and he was on guitar in Gateway, so that makes sense. But really, it's concentrated very specifically on that sound, and I don't think I've ever heard that done before within the context of a, a, a band really praying at the altar of Morbid Angel. Um, so I think that's a record that you haven't heard, right? No, I basically don't know the uh, later Morbid Angel. I guess, yeah, my knowledge of Morbid Angel is... Uh, I was thinking, you know, probably of classic death metal, death metal bands. Um, I probably know Morbid Angel better than any of them. Uh, because for me, a lot of those records, those bands are like one record bands. Right? Oh, Where gotcha. like, I really like Grave, but I just like listened to the first album when it was fast and really stupid. Or fast and really brutal. Right? They've you always also tend to... You also tend to know European death metal better than a lot. Oh, of yeah. I know European stuff much better than American. Oh, I guess I like Immolation a lot, but I don't like regularly. I sh- that's one of those bands where I should be regularly listening to those albums, and I constantly forget. Yeah, um, especially because like, they're pretty close to Morbid Angel a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, they have the same thing that Morbid... So, yeah, this is a way of getting into this record, right? Immolation and Morbid Angel are a black metal person's favorite death metal bands. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, true. Especially, that's true. Especially the classic American stuff. Obviously, you can go Swedish and say, you know, early at the gates, or you could cheat and say necrophobic, but that's cheating. Because um, mm-hmm. that's kind of black metal already. Um, but, um... Uh, Oh, and I guess I Bolt Thrower, but as we've talked about, they fall completely off the map, right? Um, yeah. Bolt Thrower is Bolt Thrower is my third, second, my second or third favorite uh, stenchcore band. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious s- about your your impressions of this without hearing the primary source material. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, I like the first three Morbid Angels, so I know one more. I also like Covenant, um, mm-hmm. and those are records that have. I mean. Or and I guess I know I guess I know Blessed Are the Sick pretty well and listened to it recently. Um, 
This is uh, this is quite good, and I guess my initial impression of it would be those first two records, and to some extent, Covenant have a black metalish aspect to them, right? Uh, it you know maybe even more overtly than Immolation because there's just lots of blasting and these kind of neoclassical guitar parts occasionally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is like more Morbid Angel without any of the black metal dimension to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so you you can see why back in the day people were down on these later records or whatever. But like uh, at least people who like black metal. But like this is no, this is fucking cool. I mean, I think it was at times I found it a little bit difficult, um, hmm. but uh, in a good way. Uh, like um, this has the production here is interesting, right? So like Blessed Are the Sick especially has that. To a degree, all the early Morbid Angel, but Blessed Are the Sick, I don't know, you'll have to tell me about the later stuff, but mm-hmm. Blessed Are the Sick, right, has this famously dry sound, uh, yeah. which calls a direction to pure structure in the guitars and drums. Uh, um, however, the dry sound also has a bit of a um, hollowed or cryptic or otherworldly sound to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, a bit more uh, weird uh, and this this is just it has the dryness, but instead of uh, but it's also just like pretty mid heavy I think and relentlessly loud and works within a very narrow sonic bandwidth. Is that a fair to characterize? I don't know anything about production. Does that sound reasonable? I would say so. I I, mm-hmm. I think that this is um, this is this is definitely punchy. Um, it, it doesn't have the hollowness of early Morbid Angel. That's what, it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's got a more solid kind of bassy foundation, but it, compared to a lot of modern death metal production, yes, this is flatter and drier. Uh, it's still very listenable to me, but I was just raised on death metal records that sound huh. like nothing. Uh, I would say, so. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I would say it is listenable. But um, as I got, like, halfway through it, it was sort of like, you know, at first I was like, whoa, this guy's really good. This is heavy and engaging and sounds like, you know, uh, the slower, more, you know, uh, the more bludgeoning and or uh, expansive, slow, morbid angel stuff. And that's cool. Um, But, like, uh, when they went, um, but, like, halfway through, I was like, okay, is this going to be a thing where, like, I could only really listen to an EP of it, plausibly, or, like, half of the record at the time? And just because of, like, it was just, you know, different from my version of things that sound really loud, right? Um, yeah, I get that. Um, and, uh, you know, had, but by the back end, I was just won over by the sheer uh, skill of the compositions and... There's an interesting way where, through sheer compositional skill, he gets not at the same atmosphere, not at the black metal-y atmosphere, really, of the first few Morbid Angel records, but he gets at a kind of intense atmosphere that I think opens up more on the backside of the record. Yeah, it's, it's, got, it's still got that big kind of chthonic feel to it, you know? Yeah, yeah like, I and I think that, that emerges more clearly towards the end. So really, the record is more structured around, like, early record bangers and then late record kind of uh, um, expansive, rigorous composition things. And I think together that works really well. No, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, let me play a sample uh, off the mm-hmm. second track, one of the early bangers. 
Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, just right off the beginning of House of Earth, the uh, mm-hmm. second track. And uh, when we listen to that, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about how this relates to Gateways to Annihilation and uh, where that sound kind of went in death metal and just how it relates all together. It's, it's really impressive just how in Trey Azagatote's head this guy manages to get in, in terms of the way he arranges riffs. Yeah, I mean, if someone told me this was a new Morbid Angel record, it'd be like, wow, they're good again. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Um, <clears throat> so uh, some of the trademark things about the way Morbid Angel constructs music are right here. You've got these... Um, this really tight right hand work on the guitar, there's a lot of really abrupt transitions between these clipped palm-muted phrases and these big kind of liquid tremolo sections. Um, you've got... Uh, the way they organize riffs is kind of different. There tends to be a lot of odd numbers of repetitions of riffs and then kind mm-hmm. of extended bridging fill patterns as it brings it back to like the A riff or something. Um, so they've he's really gotten inside the compositional technique of that band remarkably well. Uh, like it, Which is especially kind of difficult when the band is like technically demanding and like known for being weird. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of like finding people who can get inside Trey Azicote's head is like the equivalent of people who can get inside Sanko's head in Black mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that really unique personal eccentric guitar style that's so hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, but more importantly, so what gateways kind of relates to is that in a lot of ways, gateways to annihilation is sort of like a proto behemoth um, because it's still built out of a lot of the same parts. These big kind of Phrygian style melodies, mm-hmm. uh, the abrupt kind of rhythmic changes that build a lot of excitement, this really dramatic kind of commanding vocal performance. Mm-hmm. But behemoth takes those elements and simplifies them down to nothing. You know, they become <laughs> these super bare bone songs that are carried by production and 30 vocal layers. Now, technically, Behemoth probably got that by touring with Nile one time. Um, mm. But I believe it was Carl Sanders from Nile who was briefly in Morbid Angel when they were up in Tennessee for a little while, way back in the day. Um, that's just like old death metal lore, but it's interesting how these things all link together. Um, mm. But yeah, as, as far as being able to replicate that style of death metal, a style that's basically been forgotten outside of Morbid Angel, Behemoth, and kind of Vader, in a way. Um, Yeah, I I don't think I've ever heard anyone do this better. I mean, the execution of the conceit is basically flawless. Yeah, it's quite good. I mean, the right-hand stuff is something I was thinking about, too. Um, The tendency to... This is a thing that not many... uh, Hearing it here brings into relief how this is very uncommon in modern death metal. Like, you might hear a slow tremolo riff, right? You might, like, okay, they half-time it, and there's a big slow... You know, they might do a big sort of, quote-unquote, doomy incantation riff. Yeah. But hearing... uh, That's all picked slowly. Yeah. Um, Hearing forceful full-chord picking, like power-chord picking at high speed on a slow or driving mid-tempo part is itself kind of unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's just putting... You could play something like that at with half the picking speed and fill in all that sonic space, but it wouldn't sound... It's not... wouldn't be half as dense or have half the momentum. Um, Yeah. Yeah, And his ability to flow between that... As you were saying, his ability to flow between that and the more kind of crisp, chugged, separated off stuff, he's really good at playing between those two. Or, like, you finish a phrase, and then he just... You know, you finish a phrase, and then you just release into the trem in a way that's basically a trill. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's, it's informed by this almost kind of neoclassical idea of guitar playing mm-hmm, itself. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that was always lurking in the background of Morbid Angel as well as a lot of early Tampa death metal, but it comes out more obviously here than it typically mm-hmm. did back then. <clears throat> because, I mean, another thing that's important about this compared to like early Morbid Angel stuff or other people kind of trying to imitate it is the complete absence of thrash. That's true, and that probably relates to the absence of the things that sound like black metal as well. Yeah, um... So, for Morbid Angel, by the time they got to Gateways, was that also true, or is Gateways more approximate to Thrash? No, no, it's definitely true with Gateways. I mean, by the time they get to Formulas, Mm. uh, they're a totally transformed band. I mean, they had Steve Tucker on vocals, they brought in Eric Rutan on Gateways. It was a a very different kind of vibe once they got there. So, is there... I mean, so in terms of differences from Gateways... uh, well, maybe this is apropos of your... Maybe this is appropriate for your next sample. Maybe let's go to your next sample first. Yeah, sure. So uh, here we'll go to uh, the next track, Slipgates to Annihilation. 
Um, half of these songs, possibly all of them, are plays on Morbid Angel song titles or references to like Morbid Angel lore stuff. It's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, sl- the, he, 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 you have to buy the special edition to get the bonus track, Professional Drinker. <laughs> yeah. So Slipgates to Annihilation, obviously Gateways to Annihilation, and Slipgates are a reference to uh, Quake, the game, uh, which is a series that Trey Asatote's a giant fan of and would talk about all the time back in the day. He was a huge Quake 3 player. Um, so let's listen to Slipgates to Annihilation, and we'll talk about some of the distinguishing features that mm-hmm. this guy uh, brings in. can hear some of the stuff that's a little bit more unique to this project that's outside of the Morbid Angel template. Um, A big thing is uh, certain riffs harken back also to Tampa Death Metal, but stuff more along the lines of early Deicide. Um, Typically, Trey wouldn't do uh, like more straightforward kind of uh, like chromatic stepping uh, when it comes to parts of riffs. You know, mm-hmm. on this record, you're going to hear a little bit more of, you know, almost the black metal technique, really, of, you know, these half-step dissension or ascensions with the same phrase repeated. Uh, you're going to hear some more influence from just, like, the barest trace of European death metal with some of the harmonized leads. And Morbid Angel had some yeah. of that, but it's used more extensively here. Yeah, no, you got a little more uh, of that kind of uh, black metal-y Grieg-sounding thing, the emperor, emperor eeriness on some of the leads. Yeah, and actually, as dense as this record is, um, it actually has more breathing room than a lot of even late Morbid Angel. Um, Like on the last sample, you had that sort of atmospheric little uh, two-note wafting 
guitar passage that was working mm-hmm. as a bridge uh, here at the very tail end of the sample. That sort of convoluted, almost suffocation-style riff with the mm-hmm. more scattered drumming underneath it, that is more unique to this. So it's not just Morbid Angel Worship, even though that's a huge part of it. He does have his own voice, and what I appreciate is that he doesn't um, he doesn't refuse a good idea just because it doesn't fit the template. You know, yeah. There's ways Th- that to was like this. a thing with the uh, Nid song last week too, right? Like clearly yeah. an Iljarn worship band, but like pulling from relevant toolkits. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I always, I mean, I approve of the whole conceit, but. If he didn't use some of those ideas outside of the Morbid Angel wheelhouse, it would possibly be even more authentic, but it would not be as good a record, you know? Because the one thing is that these songs do flow very organically, and refusing to let the next necessary riff step in based on its own internal logic, um, that would have been to the detriment of the record. So I appreciate when he lets it step outside and lets a little bit of his own spirit breathe into it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's proven that if he wanted to, he could write just a complete down-the-line worship record, right? Um, he should just join more of an angel, frankly. <laughs> honestly, yeah. How how was their last one? What did you think? Uh, Kingdom's Disdained? Yeah. Oh, I've heard, like, two songs off of it. It's boring. Just assume it's dumb, yeah, probably. It's, um, it's just, I mean, it, well, Pete's not in the band anymore. Um okay. And you know, and it's amazing when Pete left. Uh, you you suddenly realize, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm-hmm. How important his drumming was, not just to not just in terms of a rhythmic performance, but how it would shape the songs mm-hmm. of Morbid Angel because he had such a unique drum performance. One that's actually replicated pretty yeah. well here. Um, yeah. So, but no, it's not it's not really worth talking about. <laughs> Morbid Angel ends at Heretic. Alright, so, um, yeah, so now we're on my samples. I mean, I think you've done a, you focused more on the early album bangers, and I suppose my samples focus more on the, uh, later, later parts. Um, so, one reason these songs are cool and are interesting to listen to, like, I mean, in some ways the whole Morbid Angel conceit is to force you to listen to structure. Like, I learned Mm -hmm. a lot a lot about music in general by trying to wrap my head around Blessed Are the Sick. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, huh, this guitar tone's giving me nothing. A lot of these riffs are, in a certain sense, even for a person who is already listening to a ton of black metal, are like scronky and weird and unpleasant to listen to. Uh, there aren't a lot of racing thrash beats except where they are and they're very effective, right? Um, uh, it was sort of a, 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 like, and, you know, so understanding, learning to understand, like, austerity, like sort of a stark, um, stark modernist form or like vertical space in music between, you know, moving leaping up and down and creating riffs that sound like structures as opposed to sort of like horizontal sort of flowing propulsive black metal melody mm-hmm. that was all like huge for me learning from Morbid Angel um, so uh, this band is cool in that especially on this everywhere but especially on the second part of the album he really embraces that uh, and um, the late there's a version of the the main riffs on these songs are all sick, but there's a version of this record that's way more just the main riffs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, more more banger oriented, uh, and would still sound a lot like Morbid Angel, right? But this is maybe more Covenanty in some way. But uh, 
all these songs have cool shit happening late song, especially towards the second half of, half of the record. Uh, so this sample on Notter of Entrails, a cool title, is going to start and end with the big riff, and the big riff is sick, but uh, what happens in between and how it get back, gets back into the big riff is uh, just as important. Yeah, so you heard it drop back into the main riff there, which is a pretty classic Morbid Angel type riff, right? Yeah, it's a classic Morbid Angel type riff, but but the <laughs> the drop in that's just so abrupt and it's just so fucking like fist pumping heavy metal. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that's a more modern touch that I really appreciate because it's it's just a great moment. Like that was like what I was saying: never let the conceit get away from doing the cool thing at the right time. Yeah, that's a good motto. Uh, so yeah, so this is a good example. Like as we were listening to that, you said this is weird and doesn't sound anything like Morbid Angel. That midsection. Yeah, I mean structurally it has tendencies towards it, but there is that that sort of brief, almost slam riff. And yeah, Morbid Angel would never do that. This is sort of. He does he does that a number of places on this record. He does a lot of. Uh, just embraces making heavy sounds with muted root in a way that is, uh, like, just, like, bang... Like, I mean, Morbid Angel would chug the root, but just, like, banging on it in ways that are more, like, uh, kind of more more physically impulsive, maybe, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit more like certain kinds of hardcore breakdowns, but not directly. But they also have that huge vertical sweep you know, boom, boom, it's all about like hit chugging the root, hitting the root as this powerful punctuator and then sweeping up a very long way. Right. Yeah. Because and that's like, 
Because the root note isn't really a note. It's just a, it's, a yes. noise. It's an impulse. It bounces. It's all about bouncing between that and the next thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the... Uh, that is very morbid angel in some way. It, not the simplicity. Not the treating the root note as a noise and just banging it. But like the, the shapes of the answering melodies are very morbid angel. But they're also the kind of thing that gets troped to death by Behemoth, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, like... Uh, like, there. That's a Behemoth song. Yeah, um, just these very simple Phrygian phrases. Yeah, so... um, uh, But, like, the cool thing about all that, right, is that also I was counting out the main one of those, and I think it's 7-4. There's a there lot are a lot of, of time changes in that. There's a lot of odd time changes. There's a lot mm. of odd time signatures and a lot of, like, extended, like, two-measure fill passages that'll mm-hmm. pop up. It's, uh, it, it's, it's really structurally labyrinthine music. And, yeah, uh, so... Oh, go ahead. Well, okay, so speaking of that, yeah, labyrinthine is a good way of describing it. Like, it's highly, yes, highly interested in structure, but not in sort of conventional ways. Uh, you could call the middle of that song, like, normally we might say that's the developmental part, right? Where, like, you know, it sort of uh, grows and moves, maybe moves towards some sort of climax or a transformation of the song at the end. Or, you know, if it's a black metal song, it gets us towards the uh, the big riff you pull out two-thirds of the way through the song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, it just exists. You know, like, you could, I, I almost call it, like, it, it functions like a breakdown, but it doesn't give you... You can head, but it's not like a breakdown. It doesn't give you that kind of release. It keeps everything in pretty sustained texture. Um, nothing. The funny thing is, nothing breaks down, <laughs> right? You know, and so it's like, okay, if it's not a breakdown, is it a build up? No, it's not building up to anything. It just happens for a minute or two, and then sort of happens for a two minute, you know, a minute and a half, and then drops back into the big riff. So like, there's no, um, you know, this lack of a sort of growing or organic quality to it is interesting right it's it's less romantic more kind of modernist more like building massive cubist or futurist sculptures or whatever uh yeah no i think um i i I think that it does still fulfill kind of a similar role to a breakdown because yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the climax is the return to the entrance um, it's sort of like, uh, I mean, directly from Orbit Angel, a song like Fall From Grace, where uh, two-thirds mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. way through you get that slow-crawling version of the intro riff, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. you know, and it lingers on that for a long time until the main riff kicks in again. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
Yeah, you got to navigate mm-hmm. the maze of torment to uh, e- ex- get exactly out the other side. <laughs> yes, the, the six-dimensional maze of torment, after which you will be uh, you will have escaped the DOI. Um, um, <laughs> uh, I think with this joke, I'm going for a level of rep- repetition so extreme that it passes through stale and into genius. Um, <laughs> it's working. Keep it going, man. Thanks. I'm at three already. Um, and and if this is a lot, if this is misinformation about Trey Azictote, um, I apologize, Trey. I don't think you care. Um, <laughs> um, about, if, if it if it's totally wrong, I think that makes the joke better. <laughs> We're yeah, just making yeah, yeah, up yeah, a story yeah. about and, Trey Azictote. An, an important part of metal is uh, is 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 um, wild lore that has something to do with reality, but. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, Flama Nera writes, uh, this is, um, the last three songs especially, it starts to get kind of more atmospheric. Not, but, uh, there's only one that in any way gestures towards the BM side of Morbid Angel, which would be Lava Storm, and is a really sick song. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I'm focusing on weird structural stuff, like, Kind of like when this, when I, but since I'm focusing on weird structural stuff here, we're not going to listen to that. Just know that, like, Lava Storm, with a title like that, you'd expect it to rip, and it does. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, cool, cool blasting tremor Fs. Um, but, um, this is the song where I heard it when I started to, like, really respect this record. Right? Not just thinking, like, oh, hey, this is really good and impressive. But, like, when I heard this, I was like, there's, like, art going on here. Uh, and ironically, uh, it's because, you know, this one is almost entirely focused on this sort of tortuously spiring structure stuff. And uh, what struck me is that we're going to start on the main riff, and that's going to throw us into a straight-up annoying riff. Um, <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, God, this is annoying. Am I going to have to skip? And then, like, of course, he finds a way to justify it. And then the song would be completely incomplete without that. Yeah. 
Man. Oh, man, I really like that one a lot, actually. Well, so there you go. The point is it stands out, right? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, though. It is it, one of um, those really idiosyncratic kind of riffs that needs something after it to put it into context. Yeah, no, like, and honestly, like, if you, with this particular guitar tone, uh, sliding up, in this particular production, sliding up there has kind of a, um, unless you're just really, really into Morbid Angel sounds, and I, like, I'm into Morbid Angel sounds, right? Mm. But, like, that will have, it has this kind of, um, it's a bit queasy, and might mm-hmm. sound and has a kind of uncomfortably piercing tone to it, and the riff just sort of l- lurches and slides down, and then loops back up, and really lingers over the most unpleasant intervals, but not in the kind of like "bang your heads, motherfucker, this is a grave song" kind of way. Um, yeah. Like it's it's not like hitting a it's not like hitting a discharge you know like a discharge tritone or something, right? Uh, it's um. It's not like crushing dissonance. It's this kind of uh, needling or anxiety-inducing dissonance. Yeah, um, it's coming. It's coming from uh, you know really aggressive '60s and '70s guitar music kind of ideas. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah. Well, it kind of it kind of lingers up there. Point being, and sort of hints at descending a number of times. It just goes back up. And the fact that he repeats it four times makes you think, oh, I, I, yeah. It's like, oh, this riff is important. And I was kind of like, okay, well, I hope the whole song is... I hope this isn't what the song is about. Um, but then sort of the way it throws... It throws out of that into one of the most sort of conservative, virtually morbid angel... Tr- like, is that... The next riff is basically a quote, right? Um, I think it might be, yeah. It's very close to a quote. It might be something off Covenant. Um, but uh, it just... Um, it's it's very cool. I don't know. Like, then I look back on that. As soon as he justifies that riff, I'm like, oh, that was cool. And then it, it fits, it produces atmosphere, right? Uh, it, it, it's, it, you know, that riff sort of sounds like one of these uh, uncomfortably spiraling six-dimensional structures. Uh, mm-hmm. um, well, I think, that's, I think that's a good point, which is that this band and Morbid Angel uh, both generate their atmosphere pretty much purely from structure, which is yeah. something that's basically forgotten, you know, because now the whole the word atmosphere is so poisoned. It by, is really. Yeah. It's so much shit. People don't realize that it's like, oh, you know, atmosphere isn't necessarily about keyboards or delay or guitar tone or production style. You can generate it through pure arrangement. I mean, that's yeah. how, that's and, how classical music worked for many, many years. <laughs> and in terms of, and in terms of anything that is, uh, and the thing is, this band strips away, like, Morbid Angel had a little more beyond that, right? It had the sort of, it was like a bone dryness. It was almost a sort of, uh, um... It's got that cryptic undead quality. Yeah, yeah, or the, or the rasping or demonic dryness. It had a, uh, there was a kind of, um, mystery and power built into the tone and the way it kind of hung back a little bit on Blessed Are the Sick or whatever, or there's... You know, and or the the rawness on altars or whatever, right? Uh, and and you know there were hints of glorious consonant melody throughout prop, cropping up in ways that like straight up influenced a lot of second wave stuff, I think. Um, whereas like this just doesn't have any of those proto black metalisms or black metal adjacencies. It just uh, it generates it purely like the guitar tone instead of being retired instead of being sort of. Uh, 
kind of um, eerily above the world. The guitar tone is just like, hello, I'm in your ear. Um, and the, uh, the atmosphere is uh, generated entirely despite that. Right, like it just like the he in some ways this is mixed in the least and mixed and written in the least quote unquote atmospheric way possible, and yet by the end of the record, you really start to kind of see the territories he's envisioning. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse, and I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. Hey, and uh, welcome back. So after that, uh, after that album of that sort of album of advanced morbid angel worship, we are back with Connected's "The Degeneration," an independent release currently available on the internet. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, yeah, worth worth noting. You know how you were talking about finding a lot of stuff on that new wave of new wave of old school heavy metal or whatever. Or yeah, new wave, new wave of, of traditional heavy metal. heavy metal. Yeah, so I think this is a, a brother channel called New Wave of Old School Thrash Metal, mm-hmm. uh, and I found this on there. Uh, this is a YouTube find. Um, these are. Uh, so, did you do any research on the band? Not much. I mean, I took a look at them on Metal Archives and stuff, mm-hmm. but that was about it. They are, very, as far as I can tell, they are young dudes. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, Jesus Christ, te- teenagers. Yeah, Are these guys in middle school. Holy fuck! <laughs> I mean, maybe not that far off, right? But it, it's Finland, so it's in the water. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and the funny thing is, okay, so this instantly gives them an interesting perspective. I know there's also some Swedish death metal band coming out of very young dudes, where I think it's literally the kid of one of the guys from Entombed. Oh. Um, of like the best guy from Entombed. I, I think Damien was talking about this and that. Uh, when we were rambling in that interview, but um, uh, but um, this is uh, so this is it's entirely possible, you know, that one of them has a dad and demigod or something, um, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's not part of their press at all or anything like that, right? Um, they're not if if that uh, that's just wild speculation. Um, and the point is, they're just a band of kids playing death metal, and the interesting thing is now that's somehow anomalous but if we dialed it back to 1990 the formative (laughs) the formative scandinavian death metal albums were being made by people that age right Mm -hmm. um and you know black metal records were being made by people that age a couple years later so um it is um it gives them an right away that gives them a way of being adjacent to the kind of thing they're interested in. Sort of writing from adjacent to the origin rather than be having this kind of referential and reverential relationship to it. Um, you know, and there might be something to the point that just like a certain kind of go-for-the-guttural European death metal just needs to be written by teenagers. Uh, yeah. Um, so like... So, like um, Alchemy of Flesh, the, the, I forgot to say this, but you know the, the press for Alchemy of Flesh said death metal for death metal's sake. Mm-hmm. That's also what's going on here, but it's a very, very different kind of death metal. Um, and uh, you could even call it death thrash, but only in this weird eccentric sense of the term that's different from, but kind of like, you know, that Finnish band Reign of Terror. 
Yeah. Where they said they where they said they played Death Thrash, but they kind of just sounded like a uh, metal punk band, right? And like mm-hmm. this band, it's kind of Death Thrash, okay, but it doesn't at all sound like uh, yes the the raw you know raw noisy Death Thrash we're familiar with. Um, it is there is thrash metal, there's death metal structured a lot like thrash metal, and what this really seems like is a uh, meticulous effort to recreate a confluence of death metal, thrash metal, and I would say probably like half thrash in the very early 90s. Um, Yeah. uh, I've got to take a kettle off the stove. You keep talking. All right, I'm back. Uh, Okay. Hope I didn't miss anything interesting. No, no, no. It was was, was thrilling. So, um, yeah, the the half thrashism thing I thought was interesting uh, because I... I picked up on that, but it was also one of those things where you're bouncing back and forth. And even at the same time, it's like, it's still kind of a dirty word. So it's like, I really like this record, so I don't want to call it that. But I instance, mean, we're, it's, 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 it's itself a euphemism for an even dirtier word that we won't say. Oh, groove metal. <laughs> oh, no, he said it! Um, uh, well, what's it's interesting, though, because I was actually... Um, a quick detour. I was at a, a local show around here. I was just trying to get out of the house, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm working from home. Bunch of terrible bands. But then a, a band came on, a three-piece of older guys, you know, probably 40s or 50s, um, who played a super tight, really killer set of kind of early 90s half-thrash. I mean, the thrash mm-hmm. metal was still distinctly in there, but you mm-hmm. had all these just choppy palm muted chug rhythms in you know the old machine head style but faster Mm -hmm. and more technically played and i mean they just they fucking killed and i was like oh there is juice in that style it just depends on how you implement it oh for Um, sure and you know as we've talked about it it turns out that a lot of things we thought certain things we thought were innovations that happened within metalcore or metallic hardcore actually happened in groove first yeah, a lot of the time. I mean, everyone forgets the Cowboys from Hell by Pantera was in fucking 1990. Yeah. So there is, yeah, there's, so this is kind of a concept that I've heard. I'm unfortunately going to forget the name of this band, even though I think the dude follows us on Instagram. But there's a, uh, there's a um, sort of like a hardcore death metal band, like, like as in death metal from hardcore scene played in a hardcore way. Uh, I think from from the Midwest, maybe from Detroit, where they're they're tapping into this kind of idea of uh, the t- a time when you could see you know um, Deicide and Pantera on the same bill, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And this seems to be kind of a similar idea. And there's even a rather mannered thing going on with the cover art, in the same way that you get certain raw BM people meticulously recreating you know, the original Xeroxed LLN covers or whatever. This, interestingly, this is in a way more ballsy. This appears to be an effort to recreate a mainstream death metal cover from 1992. Oh, right? I'd say it's even like, it, it's even like 95, 96. Oh, yeah, fair enough. No, 90, yeah, that seems right. Yeah, yeah uh, it's just like, it's, there, it's, thank a you, deliberately, it's a deliberately bad cover. Very know? deliberately bad. Yeah, we've got a sort of... Um, semi-color x-ray of a skeleton we've got the logo with the band logo is fine it looks kind of like the morbid logo 
Um, and we've got a parental advisory sticker added for no reason, except homage to this moment. So yeah, they really yeah, it's, want it's it. totally deliberate. <laughs> yeah, so they really want it to look like something you could have found in Tower Records and to sound like something you could have found in Tower Records, uh, which is they ha- almost have an uncannily good sense for, I mean, we are just old enough to be able to remember that era of music, and I wasn't listening to death metal then, right? Mm-hmm. Far from it. I mean, I'm not sure I was even listening to punk at that point. But, like, we have a memory of how things like that worked, vaguely. It, it's, it's sort of uncannily accurate here. Um, yeah, it's it's designed, it's a record that wants to be a gem from the cutout bin. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is, like, I mean, uh, you know, I think in future it might be good for them to like get a re, you know, get a second, get a repress of this or a, a you know, a second edition of this that has a different cover and, uh, yeah, you know, definitely. just just embrace the fact that they've got their own thing going on because as we get into the samples, I think it will become clear there's really nothing dated about this style and you know, certainly I don't think anybody in the early '90s was doing something exactly like this, right? Yeah, no, it's a well. I mean, it's it. There's things that were kind of like this, but right, this is right, one of those right. kind of this is one of those kind of simulacrum things, you know, mm-hmm. where it's uh, this is based off of like these young guys' thoughts of what this would have been like in the early to mid nineties. Yeah, which it's means just, that they get a lot of it right but it's also unique because they weren't there for it so they're viewing it from this completely different context yeah it's the game of telephone which is sometimes sometimes leads to horrible misunderstandings and inauthenticity but here leads to something pretty cool and interesting and just as you said yeah up front about the groove metal thing just reviving a complex reviving a nexus of things that were seen as connected back in the day that are no longer seen as connected right Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of tapping into a uh, yeah, tapping into possibilities that are still there, right? So um, yeah, take it away with your sample, dude. Yeah. So right up front, beginning of the album. I also love how uh, like half the songs on this are like tough guy thrash song titles. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I bet a big one for these guys is a uh, violence. I was uh, going to say... Slaughter in the Vatican. What about Demolition Hammer? Oh, no. The, uh, Slaughter in the Vatican is X-Order. Oh, shit. Yeah, that is X-Order. Yeah, which is, which is a <laughs> pit, epitome half-thrash. But, yeah, probably Demolition... I, 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 the first band I thought of when I heard this was Demolition Hammer. Yeah. Well, let's mm-hmm. listen to... Um, <clears throat> we're going to listen to the opening track. It's called We Owe You Nothing, right from the beginning. <laughs> and this... I love it when a band makes an album really easy to talk about. Because... There's three things that happen on this record. You've got straight death metal parts, you've got straight thrash or half thrash parts, and then you've got some kind of melodeth stuff. And you're going to hear all of those lined up, riff A, B, C, and then it's going to kick back to the original. And it's like, wow, there we go. We've got got all the ingredients in the first two minutes, and it primes you for the whole album. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
so yeah, it's it's lined up in this perfect sequence. Opening sample, big death metal riff with the double kicks just to start things off, then rip into this pretty straightforward thrash section, little melodic bridging riff, then full-fledged melodeath riff before we kick back into the A riff, but now with some rhythmic variation that starts to show off the kind of connective tissue between the death metal and the groove ideas. Um, this is really, really smart songwriting across this whole album. Um, and something you're going to hear a lot is these guys don't do A, B, A, B variations, but they will do sequences of like A, B, C back into usually a rhythmically varied A, B, C arrangement. Um, and all the parts are really solid. That's the thing that's really remarkable about it is there's a lot of especially the thrashy stuff on this record, typically I would not like at all. I mean, we all know my feelings about thrash in general. However, this band's sense of pacing and how they hang these yeah. parts together is... It's it's outstanding. The, the thing you're hearing is uh, sort of uh, U.S. thrash, right? That, that would be the first... Yeah. That could also be a um, slowed down sweet death riff, like uh, yeah, that's true. It's a little more melodic, but like um, it struck. Yeah, you know thrash metal better than because you know you're the long hair here. You know thrash metal better than <laughs> I do. So there's probably, uh, but in in terms of having that a slightly dark, more Dorian feel to it, um, and being sort of. Uh, heavy chugged in this groovy DBD way, it'd be mm -hmm. a little like you took the standard dismember or entombed riff and slowed it down and made the parts of it, made it less show-offy and made yeah. the parts of it more distinct. So it the way they play, regardless throughout this, like the way they play, whether you think that's of that as thrash or as a Swedish death metal riff or whatever, the the way they play this the sort of more um Sunlight Studios type sounding stuff that crops up here throughout is, you know, um, not your standard entombed clone for sure. And, it, uh, you know, when they're doing the big flamboyant lead stuff, there's lots of dismember here. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. And also just the way they groove on that kind of thrashing riff sounds way more like Death Breath than it does Entombed. Death Breath being the, uh, the sort of latter day, very early OSDM, like back when it was a good idea in like 20, <laughs> 2008, right? Uh, by like literally uh, Nick Anderson from Entombed. Uh, and, you know, my, my contra opinion is that Death Breath is better. So uh, point being, uh, these guys, these guys tap a lot of the, you know, we both, you've convinced me over the years that the Sweet Death formula is pretty limited, right? But, um... And often not that great, but like Death Breath taps into everything that's like cool about it, and this band I think does so as well. Yeah, and part of it has to do with focusing on, you know, the the kind of tendons and sinews between these different styles, because mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because there's ways to do a. <coughs> I mean, there's a few ways to go about it. You could go this very lowest common denominator thing where you're only taking the common elements of all these styles. Mm -hmm. And you're just mashing it into this single mass of sound, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. like doable, but it's boring. And I think when yeah, that yeah. happens, you get like you get boring old school sweet death stuff. 
And you can try to do, like, a modern, like, galvanized thing, and then you get something kind of like Skeleton Witch, which appeals to some people, but definitely not me. But when you start focusing on stuff like, okay, so where's the connection between the kind of groovy stuff and the death metal? Oh, well, we can get that by just playing around with rhythmic variations under the riffs. Or what's the connective tissue between the more sweeter stuff and the more melodic stuff? Well, we access Dismember, who are, like kind of the skeleton key between what would be goth and Bergmeladeth and, like, Stockholm death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think there's, consciously or not, this great inherent sense of songwriting where they detect the, the through lines between these things and develop them in really interesting ways and just play around with arrangement uh, in ways that are really compelling. I mean, none of these ideas are new ideas, but the way they're presented and the way they're executed is really smart and really they're, engaging. They're also woven together by a sense of, you know, I mean, what we on the show might call pop, but what we really mean is just heavy metal that people can bang their heads to. Uh, mm-hmm. Songwriting, right? Like, uh, they're, um, they're short songs. They are extremely catchy, right? There are vocal hooks written into the music in a way that is extremely uncommon in death metal today, right? Yeah. Uh, like, the vocals over that, thrashy sweet Effie, sweet Effie part were like really catchy and a hook in themselves mm-hmm. um uh and the way these songs move is uh you know it's informed they understand certain kinds of conventions about generating hooks and catchy effects that uh you would really only expect in um a more veteran band yeah, yeah, it's 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 wise beyond its years, mm-hmm. and you know you can tell these guys are very talented musicians, but they know when to step on the flash button and when to let off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, they're capable of a lot, but you only see them at their max capability maybe once per song, maybe not even that, maybe once every other song. Um, so what you get as a result is this very well-rounded piece of music. Um, that never strays too far into any one niche. And when you've been listening to metal as long as we have, we can. It's it's often you get jaded, you get kind of tired of playing it safe. But if you really know how to write a fucking song like these guys do, it doesn't matter. You can make it out of whatever pieces you want. That's the ballsy statement about this. Like they're like an underground band of teenagers, literally trying to make something that would have probably sold like a hundred thousand copies in '95. Yeah, definitely. Like, so, should we go to uh, your sample, or should I do my second? I, I would do yours because I think you you got the sort of basic aggressive ripping sound template, and we might as well go through that, and then mine focus on a couple some weirder aspects of it. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go a little bit further in the album. Uh, This is off a track called Bitter End. Um, And one thing I forgot to mention, it'll probably pop up more on your samples. Mm -hmm. The closest comparison I can make with this band is The Crown, who I think you like also, right? Um, I feel positively about them, but I always forget to listen to them. But yeah, Death Race King is cool. Yeah, I really like The Crown, and I also really like their old stuff under Crown of Thorns, their first couple mm-hmm. albums. Those are amazing Melodeth records that everyone mm. should listen to. Um, so that's not going to apply so much here, but I just wanted to bring it up as an aside. That's the closest comparison. This is like a meaner, kind of raw version of The Crown in a lot of ways. So this track, Bitter End, 
the opening riff you're going to hear is very Crown of Thorns, but then you're going to hear some very straightforward kind of Bay Area thrash stuff. But what you should pay attention to is, compared to the actual thrash songs that they're kind of pulling these ideas from, they're playing those riffs half as long. And they're playing with the rhythms under them a lot more. So you don't get into that sort of looping thrash pattern where it never really goes anywhere. It always feels mm-hmm. like it's moving towards a target. And then they start playing around breaking it up with solos and melodeath ideas, and you start to get something really special. I heard him say the fuck word. Maybe we do need that parental advisory <laughs> sticker. <laughs> Dude, actually bothering to swear. Like, I mean, swearing isn't really done in, like, cool death metal or even black metal at this point because it does kind of break the... If you're going for something that has, like, a serious, uh, a serious, I don't know, pagan or fantasy or death metal-y kind of uh, cosmic cosmic horror thing yeah yeah. it sort of breaks the flow of it it's this kind of very first person thing to go like fuck but like (laughs) in this it totally makes sense yeah you're doing tough this is tough guy music Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. that's cool Mm -hmm. um so again kind of like the first sample i played what you're hearing here is another sort of abc kind of thing well here it's here it's kind of like a a, B, C, B, A, B, C sort of arrangement, but whatever, you get the idea. It's basically three mm-hmm. parts that are interacting with each other. Um, so you have the opening kind of, I described it as like a very crown of thorns kind of riff up mm-hmm. front, mm-hmm. Uh, which could, you were pointing out, it's also very dissection. It's uh, It can be a lot of things. It can come from that whole um, the, melodic Swedish black death thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is as close as it gets to drawing on black metal, but from thoroughly within dissection as a death metal band. 
Yeah. So you've got that, and then you've got the sequencing of those two thrash riffs. Um, and it's very straightforward at first. Then they break out the second, more aggressive, kind of double-time thrash riff, which is cool. And then they amp it up again by throwing a blast beat under it. Um, Dude, so that, I'm saying even that sounds like dissection. Rhythmically, the sort of like fast feathered picking mm-hmm. and sort of like chord change, like like sort of riffy chord change writing is really like structurally like things on Storm of the Light's Bane. It's just colored in a more um, down the line heavy power chord death metal kind of way, which I think okay. is really smart and cool. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and then we start hitting these like little sequences of different Melodeath ideas, which they can be Melodeath, they can be kind of the Swedish mm-hmm. Melodic Black Death thing, they could be like Old Cradle of Filth, like lead lines, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can be from any number of places. Uh, what's interesting about this record is so much of the material on it is built out of just like very simple, like primordial ideas that, that everyone has used to the point where they've almost discounted them. But through slight modifications and a good ear, you're like, yeah, that's why we're still doing this 30 years later. It's still a good idea. Let's keep fucking playing these kinds of riffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is pretty... Uh, yeah, I mean, that part is great. I mean, the other thing that, that all the sort of... Um, the doing black metal-y things within a death metal framework and doing playing with these kind of more uh, melancholy, uh, melancholy, glorious-sounding European lines without really cloning the old European stuff is, of course, another thing that their uh, countrymen, Sepulchral Curse, do very well. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was thinking throughout this sample. Like, what an, another band that might traverse similar territory very quickly... Um, would be Sepulchral Curse. Um, not the thrashy break. Well, actually... Mm-hmm. Actually, they they have versions of that, don't they? They have, you know, like, sort of stompy, tritony stuff where you'll get the, you know, the screaming backing vocals and shit. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't... It would not be as uh, clearly kind of Bay Area as a lot of this stuff is, no, but no, the no, idea no. would be there. Yeah, similar. I mean, basically, Sepulchral Curse is a band doing more highbrow death metal with a similar kind of um, uh, a similar kind of command of all the constituent parts. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is this is great, right? Uh, I, yeah, I have nothing much else to say uh, except oh, that. Oh yeah, you know, let's that, get to. Th- yeah. Well, let's get to your side of things because you're you're quoting some uh, some of the weirder parts of this record, I think. Yeah, so these parts are all the sort of more overtly, I mean, when people are thinking like, oh, the parts that more overtly resonate with groove metal senses of pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, the more closely I listened to this, the more I heard them connecting to various kinds of um, uh, various kinds of other stuff that we talk about more on this show. Uh, so this track, Trail of Lies, this is again their sort of mastery of pop heavy metal songwriting conventions that have disappeared as something that you know ironically the bands that imitate this imitate old school death metal would do better if they were more attentive to certain kinds of pop conventions right Mm -hmm. so here like throughout the record right here's a risky move that they somehow pull off which is this one's this track is like almost like the ballad um and it starts with this kind of sullen noir blues vibe uh but this is from later on the track, so this is uh, Trail of Lies. 
Okay, so yeah, we, we, we fade out on something that's like pretty, pretty like an ever-flowing stream, right? You get those kind of swarming, downward, harmonized leads, right? But um, in the middle of that, right, we're just doing the thing that became like illegal to do in extreme metal in the last like 20 years, which is just going like, right? Which is um, obviously one of the most intuitively cool things you can do with a metal guitar, but for some reason <laughs> is not not allowed, right? Which we'll which we'll get to with Vertgern later. Um, but um, so you could hear that, and you could go, um, you know, they're doing that, and they're kind of spicing it up with these kind of like greasy minor key blues ideas that you know. And so, like when you hear that, you could be like, oh, this is the Pantera. This is like kind of Pantera y, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the most direct reference here, I mm -hmm. like listening to that again. I didn't really pick up on it the first time. I think this track as a whole is supposed to be a play on uh, "Seasons in the Abyss" by Slayer. I was thinking of that too at some point during this record, possibly here. Yeah, yeah, because they're it's like they're playing with like kind of modified quotes from like a few different songs off that. Yeah, I see what you mean. That's yeah. almost yeah. So, maybe they're doing that. Um, okay, I'm going to save my deep cut reference for the next one, which I think sounds more like it. Um, actually, yeah, the next one is a better sample of this. So, okay, let's just say, all right, uh, playing around with Season of the Abyss type stuff. Again, not a record that is uh, um, has yeah, a lot of currency in terms of immediate influence on modern death metal. But it would have been huge for people who were playing death metal in, like, 95, 96. Yes, um, I think I think it's more popular with hardcore people now, but um, for obvious yeah. reasons, it, it's it's weird. hardcore people are into weird Slayer. <laughs> yeah, seasons I could never actually get. I loved the idea of Slayer doing a heavy kind of mid tempo album, but I could never really get into it. No, um, I was never a big fan of that one. I mean, I mean, South of Heaven is kind of like the same idea, but better. So. Oh, maybe I'm even. Ta I'm not sure I've even fucking listened to seasons. I might have been talking about South of Heaven. Yeah. Um, it's um, the uh, but they they got by that point they started quoting Slayer riffs, mm. like Slayer themselves did, and so <laughs> yeah, they started like, like on, on South of uh, yeah on South of Heaven you just get okay what if we have all these songs chugged out and then like throw the Slayer riff in at the end. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, that's but, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think it would probably matter less to me now. When when you're younger, you can't make minute distinctions between these things, right? So I checked this out. You know, I li would have listened to that years ago. But but as far as these guys, right? So they're doing this self-consciously. They're like, hey, let's bite this Slayer riff, but move it around a little bit to make it this slinky little kind of uh, arpeggiated flourish in this kind of chug passage. Yeah, and they still use the same sort of half thrash chug passage in the middle mm -hmm. that was so common to so many of those bands back then but like you said no one's fucking used it in 20 you know, years outside of little bar bands you know yeah you know what ironically it would have been you know these guys are more self-conscious about their use of slayer riffs than slayer was <laughs> they're doing it more tastefully. they're doing it in better faith <laughs> they're doing it in better faith um uh but um so okay so we get to uh Here's the last sample. Here's where it gets, I think, a little more uh, deep cut-ish, which is Against the Prophecies. Oh, and just the other thing. I mean, I guess you heard it, right? But, like, that whole track, just the whole mood there, which is almost like murder mystery, like, or, like, waiting for the yeah. bus in Helsinki in the rain, or, 
trying to do a handshake drug deal on the streets in Helsinki in the rain. Um, <laughs> it's it's all got this kind of um, it it shouldn't work, but it does. Do you remember those god awful bluesy moments on the last Incantation record that they put out? Oh God, don't fucking remind me. Yeah, so this is like the good version of that. Like somehow they this track should be the most awkward on the record, but somehow they nail it and it like stands out. The pentatonic scale is a, a wily and dangerous creature. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, like trying to catch a crocodile, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll go to uh, Against the Prophecies. Um, and uh, just listen, um, especially for the last couple riffs in this sequence. But um, yeah, just uh, let's jam on some chugs. So we end there on this kind of, uh, well, try to get to what that is in a sec. This sort of like a pile-up gang vocal uh, tough guy chorus. But um, <laughs> the two riffs before that are fascinating. Um, the riff r- r- uh, right before it, right, this kind of just, um, you could hear that as a half-thrash riff, but what it really is is bolt thrower, especially early bolt thrower. Mm-hmm. Um Formally, like it's an in battle, there is no law riff. But it's embellished with this really unusual, you know, this thing that is coloring outside the lines of what a bolt thrower riff has been codified, which is that, you know, that sort of like um, kind of epic sounding, glistening arpeggio turnaround. And the earlier at riff... The, at the end of the string of zeros. <laughs> exactly. No, zeros and tritones. And then finally... And then before that, the earlier stream of zeros riff also has these kind of epic colored minor scale, open minor scale arpeggios creeping in there. Um, That's like a, a fourth crusade kind of thing. You, there, no, there, there's just like a, there's like a two note flourish in the previous riff. Oh, oh, that um, one, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that far. Yeah, that's for sure. It's bolt thrower. But um, basically, our listeners will be able to hear, right? There's there's play in these between sort of dissonant, uh, you know, dissonant minor, dissonant Eastern scale minor uh, Slayer and Slayer bolt thrower type riffing 
with stuff that sounds tonally more like a post-punk riff. Mm -hmm. I I Um, kind of get that, yeah. And there's one band that does that, which is Armored Angel. Um, And I have a... I I think a lot of shit on this record could actually be bolt theory. And a lot of moments like this, or like the sort of more brooding kind of moment in that Trail of Lies track, are really kind of influenced by Armored Angel. Uh, which is this, we talk about them occasionally on the show, they're this sort of Australian, technically speaking, death metal band, or I, I just think that that classification should be changed, right? Nobody's thought about it in 20 years. But, um, yeah. like, well, Armored uh, Angel is not anything in particular. It really is its own thing. Yeah, like we were talking about last time, Australian extreme metal kind of was its own genre before the mid-90s, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so Armored Angel is kind of in a group on their own, but they're like a band that is primarily influenced by Bolt Thrower and the Killing Joke, and has the atmosphere of like early Mystic Black Metal, like Rotting Christ or something. Mm-hmm. Um, very unique band with focus on these hypnotic mid-tempo grooves. But a lot of what Armored Angel does is these riffs that you're not allowed to play anymore, right? <laughs> you know, like um, and this the. You know, if anything, these these young these uh, young dudes throw a lot more flourishes in the riffs like that. But um, they're doing a similar thing, and given how much they're drawing for, I have a hard time believing that's not kind of a reference point here. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, really, you can you can kind of just toss it up in the air because there's like, for instance, another thing. It wasn't super obvious on any of the samples, except uh, maybe one or two parts, but. Um, Old Sepultura around Arise is a huge oh. thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, like I was thinking Desperate Cry in particular. Desperate Cry, that track has, they quote, like, the chorus riff a couple mm-hmm. times across this record, and it's awesome. What, what, what about, like, um, so a band I know jack shit about is Carcass. Uh, okay. Like... This I'm told that Carcass eventually recorded an album of poppy melod- poppy death metal that was melodic but not mellow death. Is this true? Oh, I mean that's a whole conversation in and of itself. About heartwork, I mean, gotta, yeah, yeah. Heartwork, heartwork is just such a weird thing because it's kind of before Gothenburg gets fully established, but they do have Michael Amet on guitar for that one, who ends mm-hmm. up becoming a huge part of that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely unique. It's I don't really like it, but it's very worth listening to because nothing really sounded like it at the time. But it also doesn't sound like Gothenburg. It's really kind mm-hmm. of its own thing. All right. Well, uh, any any concluding uh, concluding thoughts? I mean, basically, I think we like this, right? Uh, yeah, I really like it. I mean, bring back the stupid riff. <laughs>
right, we're back, and it's it's time to just ruin everybody's day. You know, the, our tumorous third slot, almost exclusively reserved for brutal death at this Be, point. Beware her tumor. Beware her tumorous third slot. <laughs> Oof, God. Um, Can I'm we even sure, include that on the show anymore? Is, I'm pretty uh, sure the death. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of those are depicted on the cover of this album. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a. Uh, this is the this is the brutal death, so we're leaving that in. Um, yeah. So. All right. So, cerebral effusion, ominous flesh discipline. Um, cerebral effusion has been around for a pretty long time. Uh, let me pull it up just to make sure. But uh, so yeah, since '97, um, and uh, they they took a while to get going. Uh, they did a couple records in the 2000s, which seems like just not a lot of people have heard. And then they really kind of took off with their 2010 record, Impulsive Psychopathic Acts. Um, and to describe Cerebral Effusion, um, this is probably the single most brutal death metal for brutal death people we've ever had on the show. Um, we've We've had stuff that is at least like kind of aesthetically interesting something like Induced or a lot of the Ortega projects are like that um, actually Cerebral Effusion was an Ortega project back in the day but I think he left after the first EP mm-hmm. um, you've got stuff where there's some more obvious kind of hooks like uh, Oncology or Metharoma or something like that but this is just a fucking brick wall of brutal death and uh, I, I've kind of figured out the position on the show to take with this stuff, which is brutal death people don't listen to the show. I mean, we've we've covered a lot of it, but the brutal death scene is its own thing. Like, the bands and the labels find it interesting when I bring these things on, but really what I'm doing is presenting brutal death people to people who don't really listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like there's a lot of black metal people, uh, especially like on our Discord and stuff, who have really started to get more interested in it so i guess i'm providing like guided tours of the brutal death scene for people outside of it um and i guess the easiest way to describe this is uh for those in the know this is most comparable to the sort of thing that was coming out of like united guttural records in the late 90s early 2000s imagine a a very pure successor to the suffocation style taken to its natural conclusion just fast yeah but like without the death metal kind of yeah it's like it's hard suffocation is recognizably a death metal band that has like um riffs and sounds kind of like hardcore too and this purely just sounds like the parts of suffocation that became slam and brutal death right yeah it does um this is there's something so aggressively unapproachable about this music like it has some of the flattest production in the world like it's deliberately sapped of tonal dimension it's uh it's just it's bone dry it's it's just incredibly challenging to listen to and honestly it's like i i have to make an effort to explain how this is still music to a lot of people i think (laughs) 
Um, so what was what was your take on? I mean, we basically know, but further. Yeah, record, this is. I mean, I think my like my earnest take on this is that it's uh, really funny, um, and you know, I've I've avoided saying that about most brutal death you brought on because the whole thing has been me and. Uh, you know, you introducing me to the ins and outs of listening to Brutal Death, and as we've talked about, you've you've you know you've you've sold me on a lot of things. Even if I'm not going to go back and listen to it, I'm like, this is cool, right? So, mm-hmm. in terms of something equally uncompromising, right? The, the exterminated is like never going to listen to that again. But that is an impressive, powerful aesthetic experience, right? Uh, yeah, I, I've listened to that one like ten times since that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is. And there's stuff I like, you know, just there's stuff that's less accessible to me. Like, I don't know, who's that Greek band, the slam band who did Flamethrower Ecdysis? Oh, Embryectomy, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, just I can't get into that shit, right? Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I can like slam, like slam with that kind of sterile production, I just can't do. Um, mm-hmm. This, so there, I've heard things that I've liked, liked less than this. Um, this is obviously objectively good in terms of how completely committed it is to its uh, core principles, right? Um, but it just reminds me of, like, it reduces me to that cliche of, like, ha-ha, brutal death metal funny because it, <laughs> it, because it, it sounds to me now how ludicrous all the shit sounded to me in high school, right? When I, like... Yeah, yeah. We were talking in the bonus episode about how, like, the best, like, my introduction to extreme metal was, like, grindcore and brutal death on this Lightning at College radio show, and, like, uh, the best of it sounded like that devourment record, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, stuff that was harder for me to get into sounded like this. Uh, and, um, you know, now, I feel like now, right, in some ways, I'm, uh, I'm in on the joke, and I can appreciate <laughs> this, right? Uh, <laughs> One significant advantage it has over certain of the more excessive stuff from that period, or I guess wrong kind of excessive, is um, the stuff from that period that had a deliberately sterile production was infamously clicky. Right? Like, like the blast beats sounded like clicks. The guitar tone was tinny. Um, yeah. Uh, this is not clicky. Um, the snares are... The snare hits and are listenable. The palm, the endless palm mutes actually have some body to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, it's more, uh, it's kind of more listenable than you might expect. Um, but it's um, it's just after a thing that's completely different from what I seek in music, right? Um, oh yeah. And, yeah, definitely. And, and so, uh, as far as the exterminated thing, like you you put that in the notes, and I could certainly hear the parallel, right, in terms of how uncompromising they are. Like it's the same basic template, right? Which is, I, I hope you like endless sixteenth note multi chugs, bro. Um, yes. And you know, sometimes a str- you know sometimes a slam, right? Just the riffs are composed out of sixteenth note chugs, and they go all over the place, and then there's a slam. Um, and but where exterminated has this sort of like disgusting, thick, viscous mud mud slide tone or blood slide tone, right? <laughs> uh, and it's kind of raw and uh, energetic and unhinged. This is just, uh, you know, yeah. This is much. This is the same basic, same formal ideas with the same kind of like remorseless commitment to these two things but done with this much more reserved uh, mechanical production. Um, so, you know, I, I, while I, I, it's hard for, it was honestly hard for me to make myself keep listening to this, but while I was listening to it, I could enjoy it. 
Yeah, I, I get that. Well, let's just go with your sample. Let's let's just show the people what this sounds like. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, let's... The first one I start is less representative, so let's go with um, Delirious Urges. Uh, okay. So um, this is... Uh, as far So the fast part's on the record. Often on a Brutal Death record, on the Oscar Ortega stuff, right, or like, it's often the fast parts that I can get most into, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. there's a cool cool unhinged searing tremolo riff and like it's sort of like ricocheting off more power chordy stuff in this wild way right Mm -hmm. on this record i cannot get my hooks in the fast parts at all um and it is ironically i'm i like i prefer the slams um (laughs) but um on delirious urges this is a fast part that i can get into because i think I think I can hear what's going on here. And when I when I was listening to this, I, I perked up. This was exciting. I, I get the whole thing where it's funny. It, it, it's it's a fucking ludicrous premise for music, you know? Yeah, well, and you know, we've talked about how, like, on a lot of the Ortega records or whatever, they're kind of like musical jokes thrown in, right? Or uh, Yeah, yeah. Or on, um, you know, uh, Defeated Sanity, right? There's, mm-hmm. like, this, this play going on. That is very uppermost on this part. Like, um... You know, as you were saying at the beginning, hey, that's almost a riff, right? And, of of course, they introduce the riff with a slam. um, And then they start sort of ramping it up a bit, like, uh, over the sort of stuttering blasts. And then there's just, like, a rim shot. And they start, like, the drummer just goes ape shit, right? And they start, like, (laughs) blasting. They they take that basic phrase and start, like, throwing it all over the place as the drummer just um, goes nuts. 
and you can really hear I would be hard pressed to describe what happens here right uh um but it very methodically sounds like pots and pans falling down the stairs in a very satisfying way um like and it's it's in moments like this where all I can latch on to is the interplay between the instruments like all I can latch on to is like the cool way the drummer is like stuttering and playing behind the guitar or like the uh racing ahead of it then or uh the, the, the smart change-ups or the way the different sections kind of ricochet off each other. It's when all I can latch onto is this, that what you've said about the jazziness of Brutal Death Metal really stands out. Outside of Defeated Sanity where it's obvious, right? But like, mm -hmm. you've said this about, you've said that in terms of its format, Brutal Death Metal is very jazzy, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of like these changing combos of people. Well, on this, in parts like this, um even in stuff that's sort of conspicuously and deliberately unmusical, uh, there is a lot of jazziness to the exciting things going on. Because, again, it connects back to that Morbid Angel thing in a way. Like, here's another way in which you're only listening to structure. Yeah, that's that's correct. And I, I think really what you're getting at is what makes this... Like, even... Yeah, I was listening to this record again this morning, and... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just with your um, with your morning coffee. <laughs> my, just, uh, my, my you know, Wilkins the cat. Wilkins the cat brings you the newspaper in his mouth. Uh, yeah, you chug, you pound a sixteen. <laughs> you put on your gym shorts and you pound a sixteen ounce Red Bull while listening to Cerebral Effusion. You have no idea how close that is to my actual morning ritual. <laughs> I think the funny. Yeah, I think I think we're so good at making fun of each other. It approaches the truth. Yeah, no, you really are pretty close, but um, I, I I think that uh, this is one that's growing on me the more that I listen to it because it's such a fucking insane conceit structurally. Mm -hmm. um, this is I've said this for other records, but I don't know if it's ever been more apropos than on this one. That this is something that that really rewards super close, intense, focused listening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and definitely that's going to be a struggle for anyone who hasn't been listening to this kind of thing half their life. I mean, this is this is difficult for me because it's so flat. You know, I was even thinking listening to this, it's like we call this stuff brutal death metal, but in a sense it's not even brutal. It's just well, alien. Th that's why I always hated this stuff back in the day. Because in the in the era of clickiness or whatever, right? That shit was just obviously not heavy or aggressive. Um, and the you know, especially I think you know there were the more tech. De I don't think I could tell back then the difference between tech death and brutal death, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, there there was this um, maybe some of the stuff I was thinking of that way was more tech death, but like um, there was um, there was a bad way in which that stuff was not even brutal. Um, but here I get it, right? Um, yeah, it's it's not exactly brutal. It's just um, very rigorous and very uninterested in what you feel about it. Um, yeah, it's like... And, you know, it's like you can listen to it because, like, you actually sort of like sounds like this. Whereas for me, it's just like, if you gave me an album as rigorously structured and sort of uh, intellectual as this is in a weird way with um, different sound palette... I'd probably be able to hear it completely differently. I can see that. Um, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that, like, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a serious argument to be made that 
if you're sophisticated enough instrumentally listening to this record, you could probably just like read the sheet music to this album and have basically the same result as actually listening to it because it's it's so flattened out. It's so uninterested in conventional heavy metal kicks or um you know like enthusiastic moments there aren't really peaks or valleys it's just this flat line of intense rigor in the manner like i I guess here's something that people could access in the manner of extremely rigorous like minimal black metal in a way there's just a lot more going on but it's yeah it's kind of like yuljarn Right, but um, yeah, it is. But it's after the opposite thing, where Iljarn you have to sort of engage with it emotionally and physically, whereas this is like you have to engage with it cerebrally. Yeah. So, well, actually, here's a. I'll play a sample. Um, here's a good example of where you get tremendously more value um, the closer you listen to it, and a lot of this does hinge on. Uh, Details of the drum performance. Uh, this is a fucking ridiculous drum performance all across this record. Um, so let's listen to Compelling the Epidemic. Uh, uh, well, just, um, like- just a C- CDC public reminder that um, if you are interested in information on COVID-19, you can uh, you can uh, find official sources linking, linked in our description. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put those I'll put those right in there, Chief. Okay, so Compelling the Epidemic. Let's just listen to, I've just got like a 90 second sample off this, but try just as an exercise, just really for 90 seconds, focusing in and trying to pick up every note. You know what I mean? maybe one of the Rosetta Stones to listening to this is the the fast parts of this record um, you know all the sort of arrays of different blast beats mm-hmm. well first off and you already know this it's not riff based at all there are not melodies to pick up on there's not even like 
well, looping things to get your hooks there, in. There was you know? a kind of a theme there, but it's really just a motif or like a, a figure, right? Just like... And they did some different things with that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you'll hear some of that motivic stuff, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the fast stuff on this record, it's possible that it's more riff-based than we perceive, but the the overall effect is that it's just linear through written stuff. So... To listen to this and to get some satisfaction out of it, you kind of have to dismiss the whole riff-based idea. You just have to listen to it moment to moment. And then everything collapses in on itself when it hits those slam parts. You know, it it's, it's interesting because this is not, like, heavy in a conventional sense, but there's this crazy gravity well effect when those slams kick in that is the result of all this chaos that's slowly incrementally building towards this giant release of tension. It's it's basically a conventional idea of brutal death or slam structuring. It's just what's happening in the fast parts is so intricate it it can it can just blow past you if you're not like really mm-hmm. centered mm-hmm. in on it. And I'm not even saying that that's like that that should be expected of you because it, it's fucking insane to, to sit here and to do that with this music. But you start listening, you listen repeatedly, you start picking up on more and more nuance. Like, uh, just listening to that again, you know, during one of those blast sections, these super abrupt um, little triplet snare fills that he's doing intermittently throughout this hyperspeed blast mm-hmm. beat. It's like, okay, I'm picking up on that. I'm picking up on some intricacies of the symbols. I'm picking up on some uh, multiple sets of vocals playing off each other in the space between the different channels. It's, uh, you have to have a, a sufficiently short attention span to appreciate it moment to moment, but sufficiently long to be able to assemble it into something that makes a little more sense. Yeah, I could hear those things happening if I really focus in on it. And I could also feel my IQ increasing as my social skills decreased. <laughs> um, and now you know the secret. <laughs> and, and now I've got a job in programming. Um, um, <laughs> listening, listening to Brutal Death is the best career move I ever made. Um, uh, any, anyway, so uh, speaking of... Um, Speaking of stuff, uh, let's go on to uh, Maniacal Disturbance. This is one of those big slams, and my only comment for this is, help, I'm slamming and I can't get up. Let's slam.
See, I'm telling you, you're getting an ear for this shit, man. It's slowly but surely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so apropos of what? Apropos of you picking up on the, the sort of musical joke there, the, the fake out into the slam. You know, yeah. they do that a couple different ways. And then when they actually arrive at it, they do it with no fanfare. Usually in, like, Slam Death proper, you'll have mm-hmm. the announcing riff in the manner of, like, a mm-hmm. metalcore breakdown. You know, mm-hmm. drop out, solo guitar, yeah, China, yeah, yeah. go in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here, it just kind of slithers into it. It fakes you out a couple of times with the slowdown. Blast more, fakes out, blast more, and then it just kind of happens. Out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, gotcha. And and there's no, um, there is no breakdown effect from it. There are a couple other things on this record, like where I found myself doing the drunk goblin dance, you know? You sort of like angrily hop from one foot to another. Um, (laughs) But like, um, this is not a slam you can dance to. And it's not one slam. This is sort of like the proverbial latticework of slams approach you speak of, right? Yeah, Um, I would say that... I would say the more direct connection would be um, suffocation on Pierce from within, because they uh-huh. would play around with ideas like this, these slithering, elaborate, slow death metal parts that are, like, way too technical for how slow they are, you know? You know, it's a little bit like what I was saying about those things that work like breakdowns but aren't breakdowns on the on the, uh, uh, the the band that sounds like Morbid Angel, Alchemy of Flesh. <laughs> Alchemy record. of Flesh. Um, I'm just going to have such a hard time remembering that name. Yeah, please, please name your band something else. Um, uh, um, But but differently, because those were all sort of physically satisfying in the way breakdowns are, this is just, like, horrible and disorienting. Um, Yes. And you can feel the... You're just sort of being buffeted between slams, and it's hard to tell when one ends and the next begins. It's all this kind of crawling continuum uh but it is very you can't dance to it you can't headbang but it is very heavy it's just sort of like oh you're at (laughs) you're at the amusement park and you're in the bumper cars and everyone's car is working except for yours (laughs) Ooh, that's good it's just and and nobody has any mercy for you and your broken car and the carny yeah. like walked away to have a smoke and you're just getting yeah. pummeled by eight year olds. So if, you, if, if 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 you don't have enough surreal anxiety dreams, you should listen to Brutal Death. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> and another thing I was gonna say, like really in this thing, what strikes me is like the snare. Although like obviously I prefer much prefer the violently pinging snare of a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff, but like this hollowed out snare here. It sounds kind of good. It's not. Not only is it not clicky, it's kind of enjoy. It's got this weird, just sort of weirdly consistent woody thwack. Yeah, it's got. It's got like a wood block effect. I think that. I think if we listen to isolated drum tracks from this, Mm -hmm. what you would hear was an incredibly expensive drum production. Like Mm -hmm. I I bet most of the recording budget was spent just on the drums. It gets mm-hmm. occluded a little bit because the guitars just have that kind of square wave quality, mm-hmm. but you can hear, oh wow, this is very, very tightly recorded drumming, which is which is cool because it's kind of the centerpiece of this music, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, real quick, uh, nothing really special about the sample. It's just a cool part that almost sounds like a song. <laughs> this is off the uh, the final track, Formless Transmigration. 
Um, and here, this is going to be a little bit like uh, your first sample of Delirious Urges. Like, you're going to hear some things that are kind of like death metal riffs, just very wrong. That's almost music, right? <laughs> I almost, hey, I almost heard a pentatonic scale. Um. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, at this point, so to, to kind of wrap things back around, there was a period in like, from like 99 to maybe 05, where mm. almost all brutal death sounded kind of like this. And... Now it's kind of a, a, a niche sub-style. Um, this, like, very flat, very dry, uh, entirely driven by technical performance, and yet completely unflashy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've never heard music so technical that is so disinterested in impressing the listener. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Yeah, I'm just doing this. Fuck you. I'm doing this riff you'll never be able to play. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's like... And it's... I don't know, man. Because, you know, to to tell people, you know, I've heard Cerebral Effusion before, and I was never that into them. Kind of for the same reasons that I'm really liking this today. I've come around to enjoying how dry and how difficult this music is and how it's not it's not really brutal in the way that we think of it it's just it's alienating it's like brutal death metal by way of franz kafka how's it going connor here from oncology and you're listening to terminus all right we are back after some impenetrable slam work with uh, Wirtgern's A Legacy of Spite on Nebula Eterna Productions, a cool tape label. Uh, and Nebula Eterna is pretty new. Uh, it's, I think they've, they've only got like, um, on the band camp, oh yeah, and this is from Pennsylvania. 
um, or Pennsylvania and Maryland, confusing, um, East Coast. Uh, and they have um, got like five releases out on the Bandcamp, uh, and they, you know, so they do digital and tape. Uh, and one of them, one, you know, they, they, this band is, they, this label has a pretty good batting average because one of the five is Devil Groth's Sviatagor, which uh, is on track to be very high on our, uh, the Terminus Aggregate year end list. Mm-hmm. Um, we reviewed that a couple months back. Uh, we and reviewed that back in January or February. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the time flies. <laughs> oof. Um, but yeah, so so that was um, very abstract, swirling kind of uh, Russian Russian blaze birth via certain post rock sensibilities, kind of black metal. Really, just true true art shit. Um, and uh, this on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is also great. So this is a. Uh, you were saying just before we went on that this one kind of threw you for a loop. Yeah, this one is like... This is one of those cases... I mean, it only happens a few times a year for either of us. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is just... This is accessing some sort of musical DNA that I just don't know. Like, it's some sort of... Like, we, we talk about the idea of, like, a blind spot for us mm-hmm. in... Uh, this feels like it's accessing a blind spot. I like it a lot, but I would be very hard pressed to describe it accurately. You know? Yeah. Okay. So here is basically what. So this was billed as billed to me as crusty black metal uh, with a approaching death metal. Um, I hear. I certainly agree that the overall vibe. Yeah, it's like the overall vibe isn't that black metal, for sure. At least not in the sense that people usually expect these days. Is kind of you know second wave rooted stuff. Um, it seems to be uh, a, a simple and really good idea that I've been you know I'm, I've been interested in for a while, which is just like uh, black metal plus stenchcore, which have usually been sort of on the opposite ends of like never the twain shall meet. Uh, and, uh, you could attempt to weave those together in, in a way, in a certain way, uh, maybe in a way that would be like kind of those bands around Samane, the Celtic knot bands around Samane that we were talking about in that bonus episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you, you were like early primordial plus amoebics or whatever, right? But this is, um... This is simple. this appears to be a pretty straightforward, just like, songs these are stenchcore songs they're structured as sort of like old school uh just primitively primitively chugging tracks with some explosive blast beats and the blast beat parts are more like disciplined black metal kind of riffing and like and riffing that is sort of you know because everything's been kind of you know genre ghettoized riffing that's usually understood as being part of a different universe right these are kind of um these are sort of uh, glorious, epic riffs that are very much in the BM style of the last six years, right? Yeah, um, to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. but, well, you know, in the past six years, well, it doesn't sound like Franco-Finnish at all. It's Something that's interesting is that this sounds like very deeply American in significant ways. 
but also not really in the outlaw rock style we've talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. The closest thing I can compare this to, which was one of your favorites of last year, was Mortem from New Jersey. Yeah, I would say Mortem is pretty core outlaw rock for me, or uh, pretty important to that, but definitely one of the less rocky. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I think maybe a similar thing is going on here, where the the one of the cores... Core of Mortem sound. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Core of Mortem sound is riffing style that you can hear is influenced by the by the French stuff, for instance, but is really stripped down, um, centered around more kind of uh, more kind of aggressive uh, aggressive kind of masculine melodic structures, and uh, at the same and then plays played really raw, played on the low end of the guitar, and played in dialogue with just straight-up breakdowns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, two-steps and stuff like that. And um, and also just big, expansive mid-tempo parts that just sort of rock out in a very kind of almost grungy American way. Yeah. Uh, and this record certainly has that kind of dynamism between, okay, we're going to have a very blasty, black metal part with sort of uh, expansive melodic riffing, but the melodies won't be sort of sentimental or vampiric or nocturnal at all in the kind of French way. Um, they'll be more more sort of robust, and then they just throw into breakdowns. The difference between that between that here the band is even like is like just not really like. Um, Mortem's breakdowns usually have a textured thing. They're still like working with like ringing, clanging black metalish chords, or or things that you could hear in kind of like old old stench type stuff, or even screamo, whatever. But just like big, like the breakdowns have some of the melodic color in them too. Whereas here, uh, Mortem, yeah, Mortem is big in a way. Mortem is big, and this is as you say, very dungeon sounding. This is um, super dungeony. This, this is, is this a, is it's 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 ugly and loud, but it's not about vast expanses and mountains and things like that. Now this is this is like grumbly goblin music, which is cool. I've talked about that on the show. It's like we need more grumbly goblin black metal. Call it like low stakes black metal. You know, it's it's not about mm-hmm. it's it's not about destroying the world or killing God. It's about like I'm in a dungeon, I'm a goblin, this sucks, my feet hurt, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, wait, I, I'll return to that in a sec, but just structurally, basically, this works around, like, extreme discontinuity effects. Like, mm-hmm. you just get the you get the epic riff, and then, like, bam, breakdown. Um, and the breakdowns are played in sort of dissonant power chord structure, straight out of the old stench stuff, or probably also things like Celtic Frost, right, which come indirectly through, like, Deviated Instinct or Amoebics, but Celtic Frost is, like, the jeweled throne riff is, I think, a big direct influence here. Yeah, um, and that's that's interesting because the whole... I, I picked up on it towards the end, but mm-hmm. usually I can pick up on kind of the hardcore vibe mm-hmm. of a black metal record, especially, like, an American black metal record, pretty quickly. This one, it took me to, like, the end of the album to be, like, Oh, okay. So that's the kind of weird oh, thing I've been hearing. Th- that's and that's funny because it's a it's a it's a it is like because it's not really hardcore. You know, like Amoebix isn't really a hardcore band. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like, it, it's this sort of, or like, Deviated Instinct has hardcore parts, or Prophecy of Doom. These are core parts, but it's not really hardcore. Um, and so what you're hearing is the fact that it's drawing on this strand of headbang and mosh-based punk stuff that's already extremely gritty and medieval. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's probably the blind spot, is, you know, because the whole kind of stenchy thing is... I mean, yeah. I really only know that by way of you, apart from listening to Amoebics and basically liking it in the past. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, exactly, yeah. I mean, it is a tiny niche, and many of the latter-day bands that have placed themselves in that niche are just not that interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, without further ado, um, let me, I mean, you know, some there may be some doubters saying, surely this doesn't sound like a sort of obscure school of... Uh, you know, uh, Anglo-Barbarian axe metal. And to that I say, let's listen to Moat of Eels. I want to say for the record, I am so so disappointed that there is like no trace of emo influence on this so I could say Moat of Feels. Well, either way, certainly the song title of the year, uh, and uh, I- immediately gives you a gives you a feel. Yeah, as, very consistent with Grumbling Goblin. Like uh, that's like on the nightly agenda for the Grumbling Goblin is avoid the mode of eels. <laughs>
Of of course you you choose the uh, the track that the most perfectly on the whole album proves your thesis. <laughs> you know? Yeah. To, to be fair, that's that's like way more obvious than anything else on it. <laughs> it went for I, I went for the most concentrated dose of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so the trem riffing there is, um, the trem riffing there is more death metally, and also, by that way, close to that kind of savage single-string axis of advance kind of stuff that Mortem does sometimes. Oh, yeah, and it's also, well, it's also, mm-hmm. um, also very, like, old bolt thrower. Oh, no, no, that for sure is. No, I was talking about the trem, like the trem leads, but yeah, no, that riff is... Yeah, no, that's a in battle there is no law for sure, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah, realms of chaos. Um, so yeah, I mean, I almost I count Bolt Thrower as a stent, like just the most developed stench band. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really sound like Amoebics. What it really sounds like is Deviated Instinct and Bolt Thrower, and maybe no, like definitely, Sacrilege. I can definitely pick up on the Deviated Instinct because like that, <laughs> that the way that main riff keeps concluding in that. Uh, which is mm-hmm. like like deviated instinct or some of the other bands from that era where it's like we're kind of crusty punk dudes who really like heavy metal but we're kind of retarded so we're putting in like an we're putting in like an iron maiden lead but it's way too chromatic you know that sort of thing yeah and they're like listening to slayer but knew they couldn't like imitate a slayer riff directly right so, so, they so we'll these... try to get the effect of slayer Mm-hmm. But in a way they can play, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So yes, that is you're right. That's very deviated instinct, and or just the way that it starts off. Like, I mean, the whole stench thing in part is like the crust punk analogy to like jump to fuck up kind of, uh, you know, tough guy hardcore or new metal riffing, right? It's just yeah. like very, very. It's like cargo shorts and dreadlocks, right? So like that, it just <laughs> starts up. That it just drops in with that sort of like. Uh, you know, like, funky, just sort of, like, lights into that funky breakdown immediately with no build-up. That is just super, super stench. Yeah, Um, it's it's cargo shorts and dreads, but before they became vegan. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that's the the wonderful... Yeah, the uh, the nice thing about the old stench stuff is that it's very difficult to... uh, you know, well, I mean, especially Amoebics, but any of those bands, they don't, the vibe, Axe Grinder more so, Axe Grinder on their record had, not death metal, peace metal, um, <laughs> uh, but, um, but, like, a lot of these other bands were a lot grittier, right? Um, so, yeah, so this is, um, yeah, this is, yeah, so, ba- I mean, basically, yes, haha, I, pr- I proved my point, and I fucking love that song, and the only other thing I want to say, like, they just move through different kinds, the, the whole way of writing, of just moving through different kinds of crushing mid-tempo mosh riffs is kind of characteristic of that style, right? So, like, hey, we did the breakdown, now let's do the driving downbeat riff and like then let's do the two-step okay now just like make everything feedback and just puke right um yeah like it's also it's also akin to that style because it's all centered around a single riff it's you're you're branching off of that single riff and you just Mm -hmm. keep coming back to it over and over again very intuitive physical playing the other thing i was going to say listening to it now it's really clear this band has a really good drummer yeah yeah he's he's doing a lot of uh 
very subtle, not flashy, mm-hmm. but challenging stuff. And just playing it with just tremendous gusto and the sort of like the the you can't put your finger on it, but just like grooving really hard. Just yep. you know, like you can play. It is with latter day bands imitating the style. Actually, even with Axe Grinder, I mean, I think Axe Grinder is kind of not very good. And they just don't have, at least on Rise of the Serpent Man, they just don't have the kind of rhythmic, uh, they don't have the kind of rhythmic power going on that the other bands from that that time had. Um, This band is just like, these guys get it, right? And the, the drummer just pushes the tempo, just any chance he gets to drive the riff home further by just smacking a tom or something, he does. Um... It uh, it's it's like not flashy playing at all, right? But it's it's um, really good, and the drums are like mic'd really well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, I I think he is perhaps one of the driving forces of this band. You know, he's hanging out in the background. He's not blowing everyone away in front of him, but he's he's really forming the core of this stuff. That's actually kind of what I was when we were listening again. I was thinking that, but I thought, oh, you're just exaggerating that because you're trying to have a spicy take. But I'm glad you heard that too. No, yeah, I get it. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's like it's it's low key, low key a drummer band. It's low key a drummer band, and it's also, but I think that also happens in bands where I'm going to go out on a limb, but I think I'm like 98 percent certain these are songs made through jamming in a practice. Yes, oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now these are yeah. Maybe just like the core band is one guitar is one of the guitars and a drummer or whatever. I, I don't even yeah. know what the personnel is on this, um, and it's it's not easy to find out because it's not on Metal Archives. <laughs> we finally graduated, boys. We are finally true cult. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go to uh, let's go to the next track. Uh, this is called the Kingstone. This is one of the longer tracks on the record. Um, and this is where, you know, so I'm not coming from that kind of like punk oriented background, so I have to compare it to what I do know. And this is, this is interesting because you've got stuff that, I guess in a sense, one of the things this reminds me the most of is like Archgoat, um, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but with a very different mood because Archgoat wants to be evil and cool, slow war metal to mosh to. Mm-hmm. This is what if Archgoat were a bunch of grumpy goblins in the dungeon? You know, as I keep going back to. So you're gonna have stuff that sounds like Archgoat. You're gonna have stuff that sounds a little bit like maybe the uh, the self-titled Burzum record, mm-hmm. um, and then a little bit of stuff that sounds like Mortem. But also something worthy of mention is more than a lot of black metal bands in general, vocals are a really guiding thread to this music mm-hmm. uh, because structurally, since this is jammed out. It's very intuitive, but it can also come out like a little bit arbitrary sometimes. But mm-hmm. the vocals are put together in a way that they really provide that narrative thread through the music that kind of holds everything together. So, all right, uh, cool. Yeah, let's try this one.
you know, it's a ton of development, and then they get to that tremolo riff at the end, that dun 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 yeah. dun dun mm-hmm. dun dun. There you go. That puts it all together. That's very mortem. Uh, and yeah, and the big sort of swang, the big sort of slangin', slangin' uh, epic power chords before that. That's that's pretty mortem too. Those last two riffs really do remind me. Of, you're really right on with that. Yeah, and uh, another band that I would compare these guys to who are... These guys probably are familiar with them because they become kind of a mm. house band of the New England scene is... Uh, I think I've talked about them on the show before, but I don't know if you've listened to them. Uh, One Master? Checked out a couple times in the past. Um, for whatever reason, didn't really follow up with it much. But yeah, that was an active... Uh, that was another band that was active at the genesis of the nowadays underground and has since, like, is not as high profile anymore. Yeah, no, uh, I really like One Master a lot. They're, mm-hmm. One Master are basically this plus more Judas Iscariot. Um, mm-hmm. But they've got that same sort of, like, like nasty kind of rockin' feel, uh, mm-hmm. especially, like, especially in their later stuff. Um mm-hmm. But I thought this was really interesting because this fuses a lot of different ideas, but the thing that's missing is second wave black metal. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> apart from, like, these little gestures towards early Burzum, but those could be parallel evolution. And it's kind of weird in, <laughs> in and of itself, and that's one of the things that makes me think this is... Uh, this is so distinctly American. There's an almost deliberate rejection of everything associated with kind of traditional Norwegian black metal, which it's kind of hard to do, you know, it's kind of hard to create. I mean, I see this as a, a black metal record, perhaps more than you do, but I'm, I'm willing to see it as, I mean, you know, I'm pretty expansive about that. If I'm like, it, does it feel authentically grim and medieval? And, and I, I tend to like to try to, I mean, in some ways, obviously, I think the definition of black metal has expanded in all the wrong ways, right? But, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, sure, like, why is our idea of serious black metal confined to stuff in the second wave or third third wave vein when, like, you can make stuff like this that sounds kind of like Celtic Frost and it's just as serious, right? Um, yeah. And, like, uh... I, no, so I, I feel that. The other thing is just, like, I comparing things to, like... Something like Amoebix has the same spiritual seriousness as black metal, so to me it's almost like calling this like medieval barbarian stench with blast beats. It's like apples. It's like it's like two of one half. You know, two. Of, what's the phrase? Six of one, Six half of dozen one. of the there other. You go. <laughs> uh. No, it's a. But actually, a, another thing I would compare this to that we've covered on the show is uh, Aphelion, that band from Missouri, who. Now, obviously, Aphelion is a band that's, like, a work in progress. It's not fully formed yet. But yeah, they yeah. got kind of a similar thing of, like, dungeony, rockin' American black metal that seems to deliberately askew these ideas of, like, European supremacy in terms of, like, riffcraft and, uh, and structure. Because um, they have a similar feel of, like, songs that are sort of like elaborate black metal rock songs that are jammed out and mm-hmm. iterated on within the practice space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I, this was just very interesting to me. This is one of the parts that really stuck out, especially with some of the riffs on this are like, these are the ones that really grabbed me. It's like, I mean, you might be right also. The, the, yeah, just sort of rejection of second wave as a primary influence is pretty like... Well, you know, it's 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 both characteristic of American BM at its worst and its best, right? Yeah. Or at like, least rejection of it as the center of black metal. No, I hear what you mean, because so much of the American stuff is based on... So much of the cult American stuff is based on French and German, and I guess just marginal Norwegian being Iljarn, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's like, a, what's canonical? Iljarn... Iljarn, Bill Skernier, a bunch of French bands, some Finnish bands, and like those are templates for the big, glorious, melodic sounds in USBM, rather than any Norse or Swedish stuff. Like these guys might not even listen to Immortal, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what do you got next? Um, this one is another. This is really good for cool titles. Um. This is like this is a good example of a dark fantasy record that's not some sort of gimmick about uh not it's not like oh based on X series of novels or whatever. These people are just good at thinking of dark fantasy images. Right? Mm-hmm. We got um so and uh this one is called Castle of the Wolf. But while I'm talking about the dark fantasy thing, it's like I wonder if um as far as a fictional reference point, I wonder if they're into the Garth Nix Sabriel novels, um, which were just nominally YA kind of stuff, but it's just really fucking good. Um, and, uh, you know, we read it back in the day, but actually reread a bit of it recently, and it's, it's still pretty sick. Um, but they've got a track called Mordekent as the second track, and that is a kind of um, uh, a sort of uh, liquid flame burning undead construct in the, uh, in the Sabriel books. Just cool, sort of like grim necromancy shit. So, um, I'm wondering if that's a vibe here. But anyway, let's check out uh, Castle of the Wolf. And this is just a good example of the more kind of, hey, well, what we were just talking about, the more sort of noble melodic flourishes on here.
Yeah, so I would say that sample kind of runs the gamut of everything on this record. Like, yeah, very all the constituent parts. Yeah, very abruptly, which is also characteristic of this record. Is like doing very sudden stylistic transitions and pulling it off naturally. But um, so yeah, at the end we get just like from uh, we do it's almost a thing that slam bands do, right? We get like a uh, an ignorant breakdown followed by an even more ignorant breakdown. Yes. Uh, yeah. You you have to uh, <laughs> the the joke among uh, me and my friends that I've been playing music with for a long time is. For, well, you gotta have the breakdown, then you slam the breakdown, then you break down the slam. You know? <laughs> just, just keep making it slower every time. Yeah, so they definitely do that, right? And But before that, we just got a rapid deceleration from the blast riff into the, the breakdown. Um, and we get basically a stylistic shift from like more, you know, from this sort of latter day post 2000s uh, black metal style to like you know, uh, back to the stenchy stuff. So, um, that trem riff, what's remarkable, right, is that what raises this from, like, a pretty damn cool album or, like, a fun album to a great album is, uh, they rarely play riffs that fancy, but when they do, they nail it. Like, that is, um, that's a considerably... you could, The sort of, like, flamboyant, flowing melody there you get, and the sort of, uh, sort of weirdly turned major key ideas, you could trace to that whole flowery Vothana Grazug school that's really big now. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it with these kind of death metal leads chasing each other, at least half the time, and putting in a really kind of powerful uh, high-tension disharmonies in part of it. I mm-hmm. think they changed the way they're voicing it over various repetitions. It's got this kind of loose feel that's very un- what black metal is right now uh i don't know man like that's a really 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 good riff um and to be able to be uh basing your record around this sort of low-end chug stuff and you might think oh they're just using the blast for contrast or the black metal registers here are kind of superficial it's just because everyone likes black metal now um well that was like really like really good yeah, that was a that's a really interesting riff in general. You know, this record manages to get away with a lot of kind of eccentric gestures like that because on a lot of mm-hmm. records I would hear that come kind of out of nowhere, like not really precedented earlier on the record and I'd be like, mm-hmm. "Okay, so you've been sitting on this riff for a long time. You wanted it recorded, you jammed mm-hmm. it into a song, that kind of thing." I mean, we we've mm-hmm. all fucking done it. But here it's like even in its eccentricity and even as abrupt as this band usually operates structurally, it mm-hmm. still manages to land. And what I was saying while it was playing was like, well, that's like, that's almost like a swarm riff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that like climbing ecstatic thing, because it's mm-hmm. not really, um, not really a triumphant black metal riff in the way we would usually think of it. Not even, like, for the really flowery French bands that, you know, we like, and especially me. That has its own vibe. I mean, that's one of the only things I could compare it to is, like, the really crazy shit that comes out of Japan. You know, it's like, it's just too... It's too bold. It's too colorful yeah. for black metal. But they it, it sticks to landing, you know? Given that these guys are sort of, like, um, 
unf- you know, uh, g- given that these guys are sort of like um, c- conversant in both the deepest reaches of BM and like punk scene stuff, it's po- quite possible they like stuff like you know Swarm and Envy. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yet mm. it, this never, this really at no point feels like it's substantially emo influenced. You know, anything. no. Although if you wanted to think of a record that kind of does shit like this. Mm-hmm. Even as a similar sort of tonal quality, one eyed God prophecy. Okay, yeah, I keep meaning to check them out because we were talking you, about that the other day. The Union of Uranus, uh, one eyed mm-hmm. God prophecy link. Yeah, yeah, you hear because there. I mean, one eyed God prophecy is more like, uh, you know, it's it's very like tense in a way that's characteristically screamo, right? Whereas this album is just like a release from beginning to end, right? This is just like forty minute orgasm. Uh, but um, or thirty minutes, you know what? what yeah, forty minutes. Um, but like, uh, you know, yeah, one of God prophecy is like, why do we call it screamo? Not sure because it sounds like Demersteris, Dom Satanas, and Deviated Institute. <laughs> um, and so like, in terms of sort of sounding very North American because they're Canadian, and also sort of uh, running, kind of crossing, crossing thing. Like, like like accessing parts of the extreme music spectrum that are normally sort of highly segregated from each other, like that's I think a decent comparison because it's um it's got these very melodic tremendy stuff and just this really chuggy grinding stuff and it all is kind of murky, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I mean, there's there's really no reason that these things should be apart from each other, especially when you're going to, like, the older, more primordial ideas of them. Because, I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much cross-pollination or at least convergent evolution in terms of, you know, ideas. It's, like, you can, you can go back and there's ways you can slot Judas Iscariot into a lot of very different scenes back in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, real quick, uh, last sample. Uh, we're going to go with the final track, Blood of Bastard Prince. And, uh, like I said, you know, it took me so long to pick up on this sort of understated but insistent hardcore influence. Or, I, well, mm-hmm. you're, you're calling it kind of like a stench thing. I'm calling it hardcore just because there's breakdown-y shapes in this music, but they're swathed in this, you know, garagey black metal production uh, and they're not really not they're not breakdowny in the way that I usually describe certain black metal stuff as because um, you know there's like very little palm muting you know it's just there are these big open gestures uh, which I guess probably relates more towards like real authentic hardcore punk that I'm just not really that familiar with mm-hmm. but uh Let's listen to this part right up front from the top of the track, and you can tell me what this sounds like because you almost certainly know better than me. All right.
Okay, so I listening to that again, I've generated theories, but what do you think this is? I mean, like, I mean, there was, there was a, a, a lot going on there. Um, mm-hmm. It really Especially sounds... at the end. That's, that's yeah. shaped like they, a breakdown, but different. Wait, does... Do you mean the bomb, ba ba dum ba ba dum ba Um... I mean... Yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, the, the the reference point for all this stuff is, yeah, like, it's hardcore only to the extent that there's hardcore in this sort of heavy crust stuff. Um, my thought about it would be, there's a set of, ba- there's a bit of a blind spot for me in terms of, like, bands I'd probably be interested in, but that I just never got, that I either didn't quite, I knew about but didn't quite pick up on back in the day, or that, like, I just haven't gotten to, but, like... Um, Agrimonia is a kind of uh, really, it's sort of stenchy stuff, but it's highly atmospheric um, and carries a lot more sort of melodic color in it. You could think of just like epic neurosis stuff, but with that more sort of grinding, intense undertone that neurosis occasionally has, but kind of like moved away from. I mean, also neurosis is sort of like cascading you know, um like, but, but, um, a lot of it feels like this band is just naturally developing ideas, naturally developing rhythmic ideas from this old school, slow grinding crust and bolt thrower stuff and, uh, overlaying it with melodic texture that was coming more from black metal, which is cool. Like at the moments where they mesh the styles, it's like black metal melodic overlay over these crust structures cool, skillful, well done, um, and different from, like, the sort of epic crust or things like Agrimony or whatever. It's going to sound more like Neurosis or it's going to sound more like Screamo in the cordon, right? And if you follow the epic crust thing too far, you end up with Fall of Ephrath and nonsense like that. Um, <laughs> uh, um, fucking band about rabbits. Um, but, like, <laughs> the... Um, uh, but, um... But so it, it yeah, I, I think it's um I think it's pretty consistent with what I've been saying. It's just like they're taking those kinds of elemental uh mosh riffs and giving them a more uh giving them more color, I think. Um Okay. Well it's funny because I was I was following a similar thread and especially with that opening riff and mm-hmm. then you know, all these big melodic gestures, but also in these kind of breakdown formats, I went to thinking about, like, Stormcrow. Yeah, no, Stormcrow's exactly in that kind of intermediate territory, like, um, or Skaven is another one from that time yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. Skaven is pretty cool. Uh, I like them better than Stormcrow. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel like those, those later American bands have never, to me, nailed the rhythmic sort of the rhythmic power in the bands they're imitating. Mm. Um, but although I need to revisit Stormcrow. But like Skaven is really cool just in terms of how it has almost this sort of post rock or like kind of, uh, you know, almost Indian summer delicacy plus just is like absolutely disgusting. Right. Um, <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta have some retarded with your smart 
or you become Prague. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, basically, that's that's the feeling I get on this. Um, you had some left field hypothesis you wanted to share, or was it Stormcrow? Oh, it was the Stormcrow thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's Stormcrow is right around the same time as some band like Agrimonia, you know, or maybe a little yeah. earlier, but uh, it's similar nexus. Yeah, I think that there's this. I, you know, I wasn't so sure when you set it up front, but listening through these again, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced of your thesis that these guys are coming out of the punk scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not these regular kind of black metal gestures that you would expect. Mm-hmm. And the negative space is filled in with some of those more obscure, like, punk wing of extreme music touches. And I think that I think that all makes sense. 